Okay, so I do have a bit of a longer episode for you today, but it is well worth every second. It is my first ever guest episode, and I have my friend Bryn Fowler on today, who is a survivor of stage three breast cancer. She got diagnosed at 29, and we talk about so many different things today. Everything from how she had to advocate for herself to even get the diagnosis, expectations that were put on her by her medical team that she had then had to bust through. What are cancer muggles, and how can you be a better supporter and ally to a friend going through a hard time? Dealing with things like body image and your sex life while going through treatment and how societal expectations just on females in general play a role in this and just so much more that I can't even begin to try to compile into this quick little snippet before you dive into the episode so take a listen and definitely make sure to share this episode on social and tag me tag Bren and enjoy Welcome to Human on the Daily, the podcast for anyone wanting to break free of any boxes or expectations and embrace their full authentic self. I am Dr. Megan Daly, and I have been there. I've overcome so much trauma, dealt with so many stressors like competing in high-level athletics, rigorous academics, getting my doctor in physical therapy, and I did what I should do, right? I climbed the corporate healthcare ladder. And when that didn't make me feel fulfilled, I branched out and opened up my own cash clinic and built it to six figures in the second year. Yet I still felt like something was off when I looked in the mirror and maybe you can relate. So I scaled back and really dove into the questions of who am I really? And what is it that I am meant to do? So together in this podcast, we are gonna dive into all the tips, tools, and experiences for you to answer those same questions for yourself so you can live your best, most joyful and fulfilled life. Because if you're not doing that, then what the fuck are you really doing? So let's fucking go. Right. Welcome back to another episode of Human on the Daily. Y'all, I am so stoked to bring on this guest for you today. Britta is someone that I connected with almost instantaneously through mutual friends. And she's just such a light. And I cannot wait for you guys to get to know her better. And Britta, you have so much to share that's so valuable and insightful, like more so than I think you give yourself credit for. <laughs> but for those who don't know you, can you give a brief rundown of like, what makes you authentically you? Like, who are you? And kind of a little bit of like how you've become the person you are today. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for asking me to be on the podcast. This is seriously such a privilege. So I'll start off by saying that. And this is probably the um, most challenging question that you could have asked (laughs) right out the gate. Um, (laughs) I just turned 32, breast cancer survivor, athlete, um, I'm a trail runner and been hitting the gym because I have this really cool PT that has really encouraged me. <laughs> but, it's me, um, y'all. Just for, for anyone yeah. who is like, what is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. No, and I just got engaged over Christmas. Woo-hoo. So um, I'm a wedding planner now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm so pumped to have you on. So you and I have talked a ton about all the things that you battled, not only just like the quote unquote like things that people think like the standard things that people think about with breast cancer but like as a healthy fit like 30 year old subtly battling this thing that the healthcare system like wanted to put you kind of in this box for so what was your experience of the healthcare system and even if you want to go into it like society as a whole as you were going through diagnosis and treatment yeah so breast cancer runs pretty solidly in my family uh, my mom my aunt my grandma great grandma um, all had breast cancer so i kind of always had it in the back of my mind that it could come for me too though i think a part of me thought that maybe i could advocate around breast cancer organizations um, and awareness campaigns enough to maybe spare myself. <laughs> when I was 29, I was just starting a new job. Uh, my insurance was just about to kick in. I didn't even have insurance yet. And I had just been sitting on the couch and had been wearing a bra that was kind of irritating me that day. And I was kind of rubbing the spot and realized that I had a lump. And 
my first thought was, oh my God, like what if it is the C word? So I had my now fiance feel it like, isn't this weird? And got a hold of my aunt. Um, and she advised me, you know, to wait for my insurance to kick in and then to go in for, to see my PCP first, because I probably couldn't get insurance to pay for a mammogram unless I went through the steps that are yeah. set for us in, um, just standard American healthcare and insurance. So I did that. I waited about another month. The lump got bigger. I saw my PCP. He ordered a diagnostic mammogram. When I went in for that mammogram, the gal at the front desk told me that I didn't meet the protocol for uh, needing a mammogram, even though I had a diagnostic order from my doctor. They had taken me off the schedule and put me on for an ultrasound. And I basically told her that I know my family's history and that I know that insurance would cover it because I went through those steps of seeing my physician, my primary care first, and that she should put me back on with to get a mammogram because I wasn't yeah. going to leave without one. And a week later, I came in for a biopsy and saw the same gal at the front desk who felt a little foolish. And within a couple of days had stage three invasive ductal carcinoma diagnosis. So just in that experience, I realized just how much I would have to advocate for myself. And that stayed true throughout most of treatment. I was certainly put in this box once I started seeing my oncology team and everything, you know, it's not every day that they see a 29 year old otherwise fit and healthy person with stage three cancer. So I felt like every time I walked into a room, they were kind of looking at me with question marks, like, why are you here? And you know, my oncologist was was lovely, but it was more of the support staff and just everybody in between that kind of made me feel like I wasn't supposed to be there. And that they didn't have specific protocol for someone like me. So <laughs> even as I went through treatment, I was always the youngest one in my chemo bays, I was diagnosed at the end of 2020. So I was not allowed to have anybody with me for the beginning mm -hmm. part of chemo. Eventually that changed. Thankfully, once I had my double mastectomy, I remember even being in my pre-op little space and the nurses kind of looking at me like, are we in the right room? Like, is this the right patient? So just always feeling like I didn't quite match the type of person that my caretakers were, or that my providers were used to seeing radiation, same thing. So after nine months of treatment, <laughs> um, it never really felt like that I was like everybody else that they were used to seeing. Physical therapy, healing after radiation, especially um, the physical therapist that I was seeing at that time was used to working with older women that were very fragile or that were not otherwise athletic or didn't really have those desires to want to be able to lift again or be able to hang from a pull-up bar again. It was more of an approach of like, let's just make sure that you survive this thing, not necessarily let's figure out what yeah, like the quality of life wasn't right. there. Yeah. 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 So I can imagine how did that, am I off base to say that it like you didn't feel seen or heard? Yeah. I think being a cancer patient in general is a little isolating because people that have, we call them cancer muggles, like a cancer muggle doesn't know what it's like to be going through the treatment and the stress that comes with it, the grief that you have to deal with of the way that you know, the way that you expected your life to go is no longer that way. And it's a long road through treatment. I think this is one of those things, this being cancer or any kind of like really life-threatening, life-changing illness mm -hmm. where no one can truly understand or imagine unless they personally face it. Like they can think they do, but they don't. So how did you kind of find yourself addressing that with people? Because I, I can imagine the emotional turmoil that that was when people like would talk to you and approach you. So let's talk about like, cause I know we went over how the healthcare system treated you, but what about like society in general? Like, how was that for you? And, and even with that, go into some, like, what are some, some tips and tricks for someone who wants to do better by a friend going through a hard time like that? Yeah. So being a cancer patient in general is quite isolating because the cancer muggles of the world can't really relate. They want to, everybody wants to, wants a call to action moment. They want a way that they can show up for you um, and, and pour into you. And there's not a whole lot that they can do in that isolation you're trying to help other people understand what it is that you're going through while at the same time you can barely like really verbalize 
what that Mm -hmm. experience is like. So whether it was just feeling isolated because of my age or because of what my after cancer goals were compared to the other patients that I was going through treatment with and the people even in um, like group therapy groups that were kind of going through something similar, but definitely had different lifestyle goals that they were wanting to reach for. And then just family and friends who just wanted to love on me. There was just, there was just like a very constant separation uh, from those people. And I really had to learn how to better vocalize my needs. I'm the type of person that can't, that doesn't like to ask for anything, even when I know that I need it. Um, But this experience definitely forced me into that. On the flip side of that, I think that going into it, I was already fit and living a very active lifestyle. So mm-hmm. everyone kind of expected to see the the heroic, like very valiant experience. Yeah, of- they put this like expectation of you on like the billboard, like you can fight through anything kind of cancer patient messaging. Yeah. 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 And like every chance they got, like sent me a lyric video for the fight song. And I can't fucking stand that song after this experience. I, I bet not. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> or like just little things like that to, to the everyday person or to the cancer muggle. Like that is encouraging. And, but as you're going through it, you see that stuff all the time. And the truth is that it's not all pink ribbons and pom poms and raw raws all the time. There's actually yeah. a very, dark corner that you kind of get stuck in because I noticed it a lot with my close friends where, you know, if somebody's having a bad day and they would otherwise call me to tell me about their bad day, when you're going through cancer treatment, I think that there's this tendency to lean into, oh man, Bryn doesn't want to hear about my bad day because just because I got in a fight with my boss at work or a coworker or something, yeah. it's not it's that idea of like deal. what you're going through is worse. So let me not add to your plate. Yeah. Yes. This, this comparative suffering thing happens where the call is stop coming. When they do come in, it's how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's treatment going? And the questions are always to check in on me. And when Mm -hmm. I ask them like, well, how are you doing? Like what's new in your life? And they're kind of like, it's whatever same old, same old, like don't really want to elaborate on anything. And Mm -hmm. it was extremely isolating for me because I know there's shit going on in my friends' lives. Just like there is anybody else, like your bad day does not make my bad day, cancer or not, any less bad. Yeah. Uh, Or any, my bad day does not make yours any less bad, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that totally does because they're very different things, but like going, like you said, there is a certain grief process to it. And I remember when, after I lost my dad, I had a similar thing happen where it's like, no one wanted to bother me with their own shit. Cause they're like, well, Megan's going through this bigger thing. And it's like, no, like I need that to feel normal. Like, please just yeah. let me feel normal for a day. Please tell me about your shit. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to hear about all you want. Like, I don't care what you're about to throw at me. Please throw it at me. Like I want to yeah. be able to be there for you yep. because it is like, it, it's this kind of like, not even necessarily that it's part of your identity. Cause I don't think it's quite that extreme, but it just, yeah. Like it takes away some of that isolation that you might otherwise feel. And I yeah. don't think people realize it because they're being very well-intentioned. Absolutely. And that's hard too, because in that moment, I know that they're, if anything, they think that they're protecting me from like their Mm. negative energy or something that they're going through. They don't want to bog me down with that. But at the same time, it's isolating and makes me feel like I'm not involved in my friends' lives anymore. And I think ultimately what it did do is make me feel like this whole cancer thing is my whole identity now. And that's what people are expecting out of me. I was very open with telling my story. When I was first diagnosed, the first thing I did was go to YouTube and try to find someone who was just like me, who lived a similar lifestyle to me that had the same exact cancer as me because I needed to see that they went from start to middle to end of their treatment and that they came out the same person and had the same vibrance or whatever. I needed to see that in someone else. So when I only found maybe one person that even came close, I was like, okay, so now it's my job to make sure I get to be that person for someone else. Yeah. My uh, now fiance is a videographer and he was so generous with his time and creativity to put together a kind of a vlog series um, on YouTube. And I've met so many women by doing that because they have come over to find me on Instagram and started a conversation um, or asked questions. And that was extremely therapeutic for me to be able to share my story that way. And to know that it 
helped even just one person, let alone the dozens of people that I've met through that from all over the world. Um, That's so awesome. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I honestly think that's probably one of the coolest things ever that I've heard. And it's because, I mean, it is, it's so true. Whenever we go through something, we want to see the proof that we're going to be okay. Yeah. That we're gonna, like you said, like change is scary, especially if you really love who you are in that moment and you have a good life. And it's like, I just got side slammed by something and like, what's the other side of it going to look like? And inevitably, I think we're going to change. There's no way to get around that. But seeing the like proof that cool, I can get back to trail running. I can go on like these dope adventures. I get all of that. And so I think you've done so much probably for even like, I think the standard from what I've heard is like the people that have actually reached out to you are probably 10% of the people that you've actually helped. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I, so I think that's right. really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If there's even the slightest chance that that is true, like I keep putting it out there. And, you know, today actually marks exactly two years since I finished chemo. Um, Oh, really? Today was uh, my last chemo treatment. And it's just, it's crazy to me because this time last year, you know, my hair was just growing back and I Mm -hmm. just starting to get into PT. I really, I really delayed um, physical therapy and could not move my arm around, could not get my arm over my shoulder. And yeah. Now, For those of you can... listening that don't know, like when they take lymph nodes, it messes with like the fluid in your arm and it can fuck up function for quite a while. Yeah. And the, even the tightness, I have 20, I had 25 rounds of radiation and I had no idea how much that would lift. Oh, yeah and shift my whole pec muscle up and over, um, like into my armpit. It was like a tent. I remember my PT telling my first Mm -hmm. PT telling me that like a family of five could camp under the tent that was in my (laughs) armpit. Um, it's so crazy to see when that happens. Yeah. And the cording that happened, it was crazy. Yeah. For anyone listening. So cording. So imagine if you took that pec muscle and moved it up and over. So when you lifted your arm, your armpit was like a giant tent and then cording is the, the tendons and you can like physically see the tendons. They look like cords that are running through. It's, it's gnarly, but yeah, like radiation, radiation does a number on your body that just really isn't talked about. Like the general population just doesn't know. By the way, I love the term cancer muggles. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) And it's so true. So yeah, I actually want to kind of use that as the not really even a pivot because the outside world can see and know like some of the struggles. I think they know that like hair loss with chemo or they might actually not even know that radiation causes like tissue changes. But I know there's so much else that's just really not talked about enough. So I would love if we dive into like what happens as far as like body image, how does it affect like sexual health, self-love, like any of the things that are kind of just, you're like, I wish this were more talked about because I didn't know going into it. Yeah. I think that there is, there's kind of this hum of discussion that's happening in the cancer world right now for young adults with cancer, especially young women with cancer, because there's a lot of emotional turmoil that we don't talk about. First and foremost, I think that my biggest disappointment in my whole experience was that there was no conversation around mental health support. You know, Mm. when you find out that you have cancer, they give you your medical oncologist who's going to determine and follow all of your chemotherapy. You have a surgical oncologist who's going to execute the double mastectomy or lumpectomy or whatever you decide to do. You have your uh, plastic surgeon that they're right on top of making sure that you have reconstruction option. And that follows me for life in the United States. I have full coverage of any reconstruction that I want for the rest of my life um, as my Mm -hmm. body changes, which is cool. But you also have a radiation oncologist that's assigned to you right away. You even kind of hear from a social worker, but they're so overloaded with patients. Yeah. Like I had one social worker, it took her like three chemos to get to me and I was there every other week. So it was a month and a half into my treatment before I finally met her. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I have like 45 patients that I have to see today. And I was just like, Oh, can't even imagine that. And I'm a healthy, you can't even do your job at that point. Yeah. And like, I know how to feed myself. I know good from bad or whatever, but there are people who are going through the same thing as me that are completely clueless, that have sores in their mouth. They can't eat anything except, so they're just told, 
to like eat a sandwich or drink a shake because this is all that a dietitian has time to talk to you about or the social worker like comes in and they'll talk to you about financial aid if you need it. But they're certainly not doing a mental health check-in to make sure that you're coping with this well. So like right up front, my first appointment um, with my oncology team, my doctor was wonderful and the nurses were amazing. It takes a special kind of person to work in all of these fields. I'll say that. But the poor nurse that talked to me first, she's asking me, you know, about my medical history and just kind of nonchalantly like asked me if I had already pursued um, like a fertility clinic to freeze my eggs. And I was like, what do you mean? And oh why, would I, why would I do that? And she's like, oh, I'll let, you know, I'll let the doctor talk to you about this more and like realize that I that was her moment that she was like, oh shit, I said, <laughs> yeah, she was like, Oops. oh, and I mean, I was diagnosed on, on December 18th of 2020, right before Christmas, most yeah. of the providers have to use or lose their vacation before yep. the end of the year. So I think she was assuming that I had already talked to my medical oncologist who would be the one to talk to me about the possibility of not being able to conceive children with, um, after having been exposed to the, uh, chemotherapy, the aggressive mm -hmm. chemotherapy that I was going to go through. So yeah, it was, I think that going back to what I was saying before, within that team of people that I was mm -hmm. seeing right up front, I feel like there should have been a therapist there. There should have been- 100%. Like I actually, interestingly yeah. enough, I kind of thought that was already included. And as like a medical provider myself, I'm like, well, duh. Duh. Of course there would yeah. be. <laughs> right. You would think. Although I guess not entirely surprising. I mean, did, they, did you at least get one of those cheesy brochures? Like not even that? Not even that. Damn. Okay. And- it actually took me, I, I kind of forgot about it. I didn't think about it anymore because I just put my head down and just had to get through treatment. It wasn't mm -hmm. actually until survivorship where I started to get a little mad that I hadn't even, like no one was asking me about like, how are you coping? They asked the required questions that are on their little sheet that they're clicking through. Yeah. They're like, have you had any thoughts of suicide? Well, no, but do. It's the generic mental screen that we all have to give. Yeah. Yes. It's like, and the answer is no. Like, no, I'm not thinking about taking my own life. I don't think that I'm depressed, but I may be a, a bit unwell and perhaps yeah. be talking to someone a little bit more about this so that I feel more confident about how I'm healing, how I'm coping, how my yeah. interactions with family or caretakers are going. Yeah. Especially I, since I, you were just saying like people just wanting to like ask how you are, but like having this expectation almost on you that you're going to be this like, like not that you're not a fighter, but it's okay for you to not be like sunshine and rainbows and rah-rah all the time and like you yeah. need a space where you can actually feel and work through those emotions because they're gonna happen a hundred percent and I was really fortunate to have friends and family around me that I can be vulnerable with that I could that know me well enough to know when I'm bullshitting when they say how you do it yep. and I'm like yeah I'm good and they're like but you're not let's talk about it um, and I needed those people and I can't help but think about the people that are going through this. I've talked to so many women who are like, I haven't told my kids. I haven't told our extended family yet. Like they mm. feel like they have to live in secret because it's going to be burdensome to other people, other people that love them to know that they're dealing with this thing. And they wear wigs to work because they don't want anybody to treat them differently because they're sick or not be considered for a promotion because they look sick. And I, I, I know with confidence that this is something that women wrestle with, I think more so than some of, even some of the men that I've talked to that have gone through a, some sort of health crisis or cancer where they just took the time that they needed and women are expected to show up in society in a different way. Mm -hmm. And yet I, I worked full time all through treatment myself. Uh, and I look back on that. And after meeting so many women that have taken time off, I think that that would have been really good for me to have taken more time to yeah. rest. But I made it through and it took some hard conversations at work to help my coworkers or my bosses understand like just because I'm showing up here and I'm acting tough doesn't necessarily mean that I'm great. And yeah. eventually there comes a breaking point, right? So yeah. acting really tough and then coming to that breaking point was introduce some hard conversations. Yeah, but probably really good conversations and even beneficial twofold. One, getting that, like just the natural, like having the conversation and the results from that, but just even getting comf more comfortable having those kinds of conversations. And like you were talking about earlier, even in the medical system, like advocating for yourself, because in my mind, 
And I think a lot of people can agree, like the leaders, if you're really a leader at a company and you have like an employee or someone in your community who goes through this kind of crisis, like you should step up and be like, hey, I know you say you're okay, but take the day off or like, hey, here's like that kind of support is so needed. And I I do think you're dead on as far as females. I mean, hell, even like societal conditioning as we grow up, you're expected to look perfect, do all the things, like be these really hard workers that have a smile on their face. And we always have to be nice or all of a sudden we're a bitch about it. Like there's all these factors and then you deal with a major health crisis, cancer or otherwise, and you have to kind of put on this mask or you feel like there's an expectation placed on you to put on a mask and just fight through. Like I remember one of my clinical rotations, my CI was saying, or like one of the other employees about my CI was talking about how like, yeah, she had pancreatitis and was still showing up at work and like, like taking it like a champ. I'm like, that's not taking it like a champ. Like, let the woman have a day off. Are you kidding me? Yeah. it's funny the uh the heroicism that we put behind like completely over over extending ourselves right like Mm -hmm. when you are just putting the pedal all the way down burning yourself out wearing yourself out you're like given praise but at the same time I will tell you that nobody was like damn Bryn you've shown up every day that you weren't sitting in a chemo bay instead so we're gonna give you a raise like nobody doesn't happen no, like nobody's doing that. If anything, um, I'm actually in more of like a leadership role at work right now. And what I have discovered is that if I don't set an example as a leader to take a day off when I need one, it does not make me a champion. It makes other, it makes my peers or the people that work under me feel like they can't take care of themselves. And yep. to me, that's poor leadership. Yeah. So, I've really tried to lean into understanding my own needs, figuring out how to communicate those needs a little bit better, simply so that not just for my benefit, but so that it gives others permission to do that. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so important. Okay. So we talked about like the work expectations. What about the things that are maybe a little bit more like have stigmas behind them? So like body image and sexual health, because I'm a strong believer that sexual health is part of like overall wellness and personal development, actually. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that has to, when you go through something like this, like that has to affect those things. Yeah. So I'll never forget when I went to my very first chemo appointment, there was this nurse practitioner that was like in charge of all three chemo bays. And she was younger, probably in her like late thirties. And she came over to me and she was like, she like looked at the screen, looked at me, looks at the screen. And she's like, has anybody talked to you about how you're going to be able to have sex while you're going through chemo? And I was like, no, (laughs) up to this moment, everybody's just (laughs) telling me how they're going to keep me alive. No given a shit about my sex life. That's like, even I had that pretty far down the list of priorities. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I've got a book for you. I've got this stuff that you can order online that will help you, you know, stay hydrated down there. And so that everything's lubricated so that you can continue having sex. She's like, I want you to talk to me every time you come in here, if you're struggling with this at all, like you are 29. I was 29 at the time. She's like, you're 29 and vibrant like you should be having sex even when you're going through treatment and she was hooting and hollering about how she couldn't wait to meet Blaine and I was, <laughs> I was blushing oh my god and I she was she really lifted my spirits with this conversation yeah it was something that I hadn't even thought about and I have talked to several women uh, that I've met online about this because it's so far from our mind and I completely agree with you that I think it's a huge part of my mental health, like when my fiance and I are vibing, it seems like everything else in my life is also on track. Mm-hmm. It's it's a body confidence thing that, and when I was going through treatment, I wasn't worried about the body, the body confidence stuff because I was otherwise fit and healthy and really 
I was really proud of my body and what it was capable of. And I, I did a lot of trail running during treatment, which helped alleviate a lot of my symptoms. I was really proud of that. I just felt so strong. The body confidence issues or like the body dysmorphia, I'd even say, didn't come until later when I had my double mastectomy and saw my entire body change, removing my lymph nodes. And I had a double mastectomy uh, and they placed expanders at first, which look very unnatural and are very uncomfortable. I couldn't sleep on my side, which is, I'm usually a side sleeper. So I wasn't getting good sleep, just felt awful. I was on my back a lot, couldn't exercise, couldn't run. And every person that I talked to provider wise or all my care team were just like, no, you're healing so well, like you'll get back to those things. Don't worry about it. So with the decline of not being able to do the physical things that I love, trail running, rock climbing, Mm -hmm. any of the active stuff, including having sex, it was extremely detrimental to my confidence and feeling um, at home in my own body. That was, uh, that was definitely a moment where um, I started to realize how much my body had betrayed me and how, Mm -hmm. how, how disconnected I felt from the body that I was stuck living in this like sick body that I was stuck living in. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, obviously, cause we've worked together, like I'm oncology certified. I've worked with a lot of survivors in the past and there seems to be a, a common thread of like that disconnected feeling almost like at some point during treatment, seeing their body, whether like maybe it is that betrayal thought, or it's even just like this thing that needs to be treated like it's almost like the treatment like it's now this thing that's just a different part of me that I need to work on versus being like a part of your actual self and your soul and so I do like walk us through is there anything like as far as like coming home to yourself and get being grounded in your body like what have you found works for you are you still on that journey kind of talk us through that a little bit yeah um one thing that I'll add to what I was saying before too is that Mm -hmm. um, I don't think many people realize that when you're going through chemotherapy as females we actually go into like a medically induced menopause and uh for me I was also on a hormone blocker uh to try and preserve my eggs it basically just put my ovaries to sleep to hopefully protect my eggs so that I could one day conceive so in that my body changed a lot hormonally I put on extra weight which also played into the body Mm -hmm. confidence and like just the body changes that just fueled that fire of feeling like I was at war with my body or like wasn't at home in my body so part of being home to myself I love using that expression because it really does feel like a homecoming um, has taken so much time a big part of it was the amount of time that I waited to stand up and say, this isn't working for me. I have to do something different and seeking Mm -hmm. out what that means. Cause it's going to mean something different for everybody. I think for me personally, it was, I need to get back to running. I need to be able to pick up heavy stuff. I need to feel like I can reach the glasses on the top shelf in my cabinet or climb up on my cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> hurting myself. I need to be able to push the vacuum and like not feel like I need to take a break. Mm-hmm. All of these things that I had, ne- I had, I don't want to say take it for granted, but just never realized how. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's kind of taken for granted though, in a way, like you just kind of assume that you're good to do those things. And then life is like, eh, just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to, and that, that also affects, like, I don't like feeling like I have to co I have to be codependent on other people. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be able to carry all the groceries in from my own trunk in one trip, just these (laughs) functions, right? Like I just, I was so used to being strong for so long. And the, I guess like the dystrophy of that took was like boiling the frog. And I just realized all of a sudden how far I had fallen back. And Mm -hmm. I, I wish that I'd been a little bit more in tune with that before I got so far behind what mm-hmm. I, where I had been. So a big part of my homecoming has been getting back into the things that I really do love with people that I trust you being one of these people um, where I can come to you and I can tell you that I have this big audacious goal to be able to do pull-ups again and not be in a room with a provider who says, well, honey, just be happy that you're alive. We're going to, we'll, we'll get you to the point where you can carry a few bags of groceries. I needed to be with the person in the room. That's like, fuck yeah, we're going to carry all the groceries. (laughs) 
that those were the rooms I needed to put myself in. And I have finally done that. Another big thing for me has been, um, as I mentioned before, tried to better identify what my needs are when I start to feel like I'm in a rut, identify those emotions and allow myself mm-hmm. to feel them without shame of feeling them and accept that I am grieving. I'm grieving yeah. the person that I was before the life that I thought I'd have before all of this happened. And just accepting that this new normal, I hate when people say that, but this new normal is just as lovely and just as much of a blessing as any other story that I could have come up for Mm-hmm. For myself and whether that is journaling about it writing music about it or poetry about it just putting myself in rooms with people that get it or that will let me be myself and talk about these things um, has been a huge part of coming home to myself for sure yeah and that is I think that's such a good reminder too for anyone listening who has someone in their life going through a hard time or especially if you're a provider like meet people where they're at. I can only assume that those providers were trying to be like, quote unquote, realistic. And really what I mean by that is cover like a CYA policy, like a cover your ass policy as a provider, because you, but like, you can still be a hope dealer. Like if someone says like, I want to get back to pull-ups, like don't discount that. Yeah. Meet them where they're at, figure out, okay, cool. Like what do we need to do to get you there? Let's, let's work on that. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of your goals, what's your next big ass adventure goal? Because I know we've chatted about a lot of different things. Yeah. So I just did the Grand Canyon for the first time since treatment. Um, I actually did South Kaibab down to the river and up Bright Angel like two months before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't been back in the ditch since then. So uh, <laughs> I talked a friend of mine into training for it and we just did that a couple of weeks ago. And now we're so stoked with you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. It was so fun. It was and like I actually felt stronger this time than I did the last time. And like to be completely honest, I when I came out, she she cried for her own reasons and I burst into tears because I realized that that was the first time in two years that I felt like my body wasn't working against me or me Mm -hmm. having to play catch up with my body or vice versa. Like we were on the same team. Like we were really connected. We worked together and we were strong all day. Felt great. Like nutrition was on point. Everything was, it it could not have been better. So I just got chills. That's awesome. (laughs) It was, it was so, I just reveled in it for days. Like I came back to work a couple of days later and I was just like, the things that would have normally stressed me out just didn't even matter. I was just still in this state of euphoria of like, everything is better now. None of this even matters. Like the things (laughs) we stress out about in daily life are just made up. Like they're, they're not important. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that so much. So my next next big goal is uh, to do R3 in October. So So what what is R3 for those that are listening and they're like, we don't know what that means. We're going to go from the south rim of the Grand Canyon all the way to North Kaibab, the north rim, and then come back to the south rim um, in the same day. All right. I was about to ask if you were doing running or backpacking. So running. Running. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's going to be great. (laughs) This has been, this is an audacious goal, but I'm really excited to dive into it. I'm also getting married in September. So it's even audacious to be doing both in within like a month of each other. (laughs) So that'll be so great though. Yeah. I'm really excited. That's really cool. R3 is R3 is tough. I haven't done it, but I've like seen friends do it. And I actually, I definitely want to do rim to rim. I Mm -hmm. don't know. I'm not at the point yet where I like, even though we've talked a little bit, like I'm getting back into trail running. Yeah. The longest I've done prior though, is like a, what I do a 25 K. So is that like a third of what rim to rim? I don't even know. It's not even, not even close. It's maybe actually, it's probably less than that. It's like a small little piece. So we'll see. Yeah, I was saying that I really wanted to do my first ultra before I turned 32 because an ultra is 31 miles, mm-hmm. um, which did not end up happening because I've been so focused on lifting again. Now that I'm able to, I'm like, I'm just so deep in lifting right now. So uh, <laughs> that's the goal um, or that's become like the activity that I'm obsessed with right now. But now that I have R3 in my sights, like to do my first ultra as an R3 would be pretty dope. That's really cool. So. And now that the nice thing is you'll find that now that into lifting, you can transition into running. Like it's tough 
after coming out of like treatment to jump into both. But once you kind of are solid on one, like you can mix in the other, like, and it be a little bit more of a smooth transition. Yeah. I was a little nervous. Like just a couple of days ago, I went out for a trail run and I was like, damn, I haven't done this in a while. Am I going to die? It was hot. It's already (laughs) hot here. And I actually felt so good. I was like, my legs are so strong. Like my core feels strong. Like I know, I know that all of this, like just putting in like small deposits every day, doing Mm -hmm. like putting in the work is going to pay off in these like adventures that I want to go on, which is exactly why I do it. Like it's not for physique, like all of it is just, yes, just to say yes to adventures. To adventures. Okay. So you kind of alluded to this earlier and I love that you put this as your fun fact when I sent you these questions. Um, because I think it's such a cool part of who you are. I didn't even realize that people like didn't know this about you, but so this <laughs> podcast is all about showing all sides of your humanness. So what's a fun fact about you that people may not know? A lot of people don't know that I sing and that I play guitar. So she's um, a really fucking good singer too. <laughs> like this, it's insane. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, um, I come from my whole dad's side of the family is full of musicians. Um, and they are all such great entertainers. They love the spotlight and they're so great in it. Um, I am a little shy when it comes to this because I just never want to be that person. That's like, she can sing and like I'm just not a showy person (laughs) that's just not even part of your personality I don't think anyone would ever think that about you it's it's really not like I just I'm I'm not a super showy person it's actually more of like a party trick when I'm with people that know I can sing and somebody else's they just have no idea I have one particular friend that loves to put me on the spot that will be like did you know Bryn can sing and I'm like here we go and she'll put me (laughs) in these like awkward situations where then I have to like sing acapella to these people and I'm not gonna lie I toyed with asking you to do it suddenly on the podcast. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I don't know how the audio would be, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not completely opposed to it because now you're putting me on the spot, but no, it's like, it was, it's just one of those things where, especially during COVID when I had actually been playing regular shows right before COVID hit. And I loved that. I had like a little residency weekly show that I was playing in Cave Creek. And as soon as everything shut down, I was like, well, dang, I just got into this rhythm of playing all the time. So we partnered up with a couple, like one particular coffee shop in town um, called Luana's that uh, needed, they had just opened right before COVID happened, uh, like a brick and mortar store. And I wanted to raise money for them. So we kind of used a live stream to earn tips. And the more tips I earned, the longer I'd play. So I ended up streaming for like six or seven hours and earning oh, that's awesome. money for Luana's that they shared with me to kind of help pay my bills during that time too. And it was, I was like, this is it. Like, if I'm going to do music, this is how I want to do it. I want to use mm-hmm. it for something bigger than just me because I just don't have the desire to chase fame. I'm not trying to go viral or anything like that. Like, I just love to sing because for me, yeah. because I love it. But when I can use that gift and like, use that skill for something bigger than me that Mm -hmm. makes me feel fulfilled and like makes me feel wonderful to do it. That's awesome. I could totally see you doing (laughs) something. Oh, I actually do because I want to bring this up. You and I have talked about in the past and you were like really vocal about it on social during breast cancer awareness month, because I feel like I could see you doing something like that to fundraise for legitimate breast cancer companies. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. Um, If you have any resources that I can link in the show notes for sure, but talk just a little bit about how there's some misconceptions around that month and who to give your money to. So uh, without getting too into the weeds, I think the most important bullet point is that there is this phenomenon called pink washing that happens every breast cancer awareness month in October. You see every NFL team with pink socks on and pink sweatbands. You see a pink ribbon on every candy bar, every product that you would buy year round to try to grab your attention and they want to get your business. Um, You have all of these people saying, you know, you know, buy this for breast cancer awareness. A lot of people are very much aware of what breast cancer is. And there's a difference between just raising awareness awareness and actually putting your money where your mouth is and wanting to get involved with like, you know, donating your money to a responsible organization that's actually going Mm -hmm. to research or supporting women that have breast cancer. I mean, there, there are so many legitimate entities out there that truly do have good intentions and that want to help people. And unfortunately, there's so much noise around breast cancer awareness month that it's hard to pick them out. So I'll talk about it more as that time approaches, like come 
and find me on Instagram and I'll have some resources. I might be able to shoot you a couple too in the notes, but yeah, just, just know where you're putting your money. Don't buy something just because it has a pink ribbon on it. Use those $5 to buy your friend that has breast cancer lunch or a coffee or pay their bills. You know, like that honestly goes so much further than some of these big corporate companies that are just trying to get your money and not actually doing anything with it, but profiting. (laughs) And also if you have any YouTube videos where like, if you have something of you singing, send that to me, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Cause (laughs) I'm going to be like your forever hype girl. (laughs) Even if you don't want to be famous, it's fine. Um, And then real quick, because one of the other things that I think is so cool about like something that you do that I didn't see anywhere when you started posting things other than the like, how to connect with you. So talk a little bit about how your podcast is bringing awareness and kind of fitting into that idea of awareness and charitable and just uh, letting people have their voice. Yeah. So I don't have an official launch date for Against Protocol yet, but my podcast is called Against Protocol. Going back to the story I was telling earlier about my first mammogram, um, the gal at the front desk telling me that I didn't meet protocol and that I'd been taken off the schedule really stuck with me. So that's where the name comes from. And Mm -hmm. it's basically going to be a platform for individuals to tell their stories. I think there's so much power in telling our stories, just like I've told mine since the beginning um, of my cancer journey. And especially around specific topics like we've talked about today, whether that's staying active during treatment, Um, who you were before versus after, how grief can affect you in your healing or returning to your sport or just returning to yourself, coming home to yourself. Yeah, it's just going to be a platform for us to talk about those things and also get a little candid. I think that a segment that I'm really looking forward to and having on Against Protocol is uh, the stupid shit that cancer muggles say. (laughs) So because we can- Oh, I'm so pumped for that. Yeah, that could be a whole conversation all in itself and all good intentioned, right? But um, I would just love for it to be a place where people can come and be inspired and hear these stories, but also leave feeling like they have a better understanding of leveling with these people that are going through something that they can't possibly understand. And maybe a couple of things that they just shouldn't say to yeah. the people that are going through it. Until your podcast comes out, because I'm definitely going to blast the hell out of it <laughs> when it does. But until then, I think um, there's a book called There's No Good Card for This. And that's yeah. a great place for people to start. I remember the first chapter does talk about like someone getting a breast cancer diagnosis and like the off shit that their friends like said, again, well intended but it was just like that that was really where you wanted to go with that yeah and I remember this one page in particular because this was I found the book actually like while my dad was still sick so he was still alive Mm -hmm. at the time and I remember opening it up to this page and these women that wrote the book make greeting cards that are funny along the same lines and it says I'm sorry that someone compared their hamster dying to your family member like (laughs) but it's it's funny because it happens all the time people just like it's almost like they just word vomit because they're nervous and they want to help and they don't know what to say and then just the absolute wrong thing comes out i i think uh, my favorite thing that people have said to me and they still do whenever the conversation comes up because it inevitably does is when i say yeah i had stage three breast cancer and their first response is like oh my grandma died of that or oh, oh my yeah gosh. my aunt died of that and i'm like cool <laughs> What like am I what? supposed to say to that? <laughs> like, I get that you're trying to connect with me by like a shared experience in a way. But no. Well, buddy, oh. I didn't, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I have loved this so much. Um, I also do want to note real quick, like, I love that that nurse practitioner, like, just was so blunt and be like, here's all the sex resources. At yeah. the same time, like, why don't the seven-year-olds get that? Like, they should enjoy sex too. But you know maybe they do. Maybe they do. Oh, Hopefully they do. I wouldn't put it past her if if she did that for the older patients too. Like, yeah, one of the products that she had recommended was like, um, I'm totally going to butcher the name, but it was like Halo Gyne or something. And it was basically just a hyaluronic acid gel that you like inject to keep everything lubed up. And oh yeah, okay, I actually know what menopause. that is. Yeah, so like women will use it when they're going through menopause that are still sexually yep. active or just uncomfortable. It's, it's actually somewhat used in like the the sexual trauma survivorship too if you have like because some pelvic floor issues can create dryness so that it's recommended Mm -hmm. for them as well yeah Yeah. it was 
a godsend for me. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. As we wrap up, what's the one thing that's contributed the most to breaking free of expectations of others and becoming more you? I would have to say it's the fact that I've always kind of been the black sheep in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt a little different or like I couldn't relate to my family as much. I don't come from a family of adventurous, outdoorsy people or athletes. And I would very much describe myself as those things. And I used to think there was something wrong with me by being such a black sheep that didn't fit in. And I think becoming my full authentic self has just been realizing that being the black sheep is my superpower and that it gives other people permission to break generational patterns or whatever the societal expectations are of them or even just friends or family or whoever is in your corner kind of trying to guide your steps of what you're supposed to be leaning into who I am and accepting and embracing that I am different than maybe my parents would have had planned for me gives others permission to do the same thing I love that so much because I I know I resonate deeply with that and I know that there's going to be so many people that listen to this and are going to resonate And it'll give them the permission that like, it's okay if you're a little different, like you do you and you're going to find your path and you're going to find your people like you're in the queer community. Actually, they call it um, like your chosen family. And I think it's so beautiful that like for anyone to kind of find those people, like if you're the black sheep and you're given family, cool, like go find your people. The more you lean into like who you truly are, the the more you will, the more you will actually become more you, you'll feel more you, you'll have more joy, and then you'll have the right people around you. Yeah, I think it deepens the connections with the people around me, just knowing that it's my differences that attracted those people or that mm-hmm. led to those people. And it yeah. makes that relationship so much more special. Because yeah. had I not leaned into my true authentic self, maybe we would have never found each other, we wouldn't have become friends. I could even say the same for you and I, like if I yeah. had leaned into the lifestyle that I did and the friends that I did like I may never have been introduced to you I may never have been introduced to you and had these conversations that are so valuable and that even if they just help one person like that brings so much more purpose to our friendship and on that note I just want to thank you so much for allowing your space like this thing that you've created to be a space that is safe for all of us to share our stories and to share our experiences like I think what you're doing here is so important and you're going to help so many people by doing thank this. You. I'm thank really you. Happy that really you. means a lot. Yeah. Okay. I love you so much. I am so glad for, and I'm so happy for people to like be able to connect with you more. So I'm going to have it all in the show notes, but how, how can people best connect with you? Is Instagram the best one? Yeah. Instagram is the best way. I'll eventually have the um, againstprotocol.com website up and running eventually. I'm not a web designer. Okay. Um, but the Instagram <laughs> is up. Like that's the best place to connect with me send me a dm let's talk let's chat like i'd love to be i i'd love to be of service to other people that are going through this or even people that love someone who's going through it and just connect like i think there's so much power in numbers and knowledge and just connecting through experiences so yeah the community is so important i welcome that with open arms for sure it was such a pleasure to have you on brenna thank you i appreciate (laughs) it high five for taking some time out of your day for yourself to listen to this episode it is my hope that it makes you feel more seen and heard and understood because we are all human and being human is messy and imperfect and beautiful and you were beautiful so if this resonated it would mean the world to me if you shared it on social along with your biggest takeaway and then tag me at move on the daily and hum- at human dot on the daily thank you so much and see you next time Oh, 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 oh,